Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old from California, personal development junkie. I'm a loan officer by day, podcaster on the weekends. I've always loved listening to podcasts. My personal development journey started early in high school when my ex broke up with me, and I just didn't know how to handle it. So I googled how to get over your ex, and I went and saw all these articles about personal development and really working on yourself. So I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. And I got into one podcast. It all started with the School of Greatness with Lewis Howes, and then I just started to spiral and see Tony Robbins and just see everything and see everyone and listen to Angie Lee. And I've always wanted to start a podcast, but I've always gotten my own way. So I pushed it off for a couple years, and then I got furloughed from my job back in April. And I decided, you know what? Now's the time. It's either going to happen now or it's never going to happen. So I just did it, and I started. And I post. I sent all these DMs to so many different people. I thought so many people were going to say no. And to my surprise, a lot of people said yes. So I ended up overbooking myself, doing three to four interviews a day for the first couple weeks. Was furloughed for ten weeks and really maximized on that time and just did a ton of interviews. And it's been incredible getting to interview so many different people from so many different walks of life and just hear about their struggles and how they were able to overcome them and reflect back on their twenties. I've interviewed such a variety of people, from therapists to a chef who called off her engagement and called in the one, to a singer, to multi seven figure entrepreneurs, to a real estate investor who retired at twenty seven and is making over five figures of passive income every month. And it's been so incredible to hear these stories and these unfiltered conversations, and just being able to ask any question that I want. And if there's one thing I want you guys to get out of this podcast, it's just to really live full out because you never know when, you never know if you have tomorrow. We really only have today in this moment, so might as well just live full out. If any of these topics resonate or any of the episodes resonate with you, I would really love if you would leave a review and share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Today's guest is Ellie. I had so much fun interviewing him. We talk about his journey and what inspired him to become a therapist, tips for going to therapy if you're hesitating, how he got on the Kelly Clarkson show, tips for being a new dad, and so much more. So let's get started. So thank you so much, Ellie, for joining me today. Really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to know about your journey and how did you get to the place you're at right now? So my name's Ellie Weinstein. I'm a therapist in uh, Queens, New York. And, you know, been on this journey for a while, school, this, that, and the other thing, being able to just have this focus and goal in mind to be a therapist takes a lot of time and effort and ups and downs in your life. And it's, uh, it's so exciting to talk with you about what it takes to be there and to, to get to that point. And what inspired you to get into therapy? Well, as a young kid, I went through struggles with ADHD, and so I went to therapy as a kid, and the ability to be able to help someone at their highest and their lowest and be there for both as a loving, supportive person is something that I think doesn't happen a lot in people's lives. So for someone to have the ability to be there for someone is, uh, is something that I look forward to and it drives me day in, day out to be that person for other people. 
And did you have any career changes or did you always know you wanted to be in therapy? I wanted to deal with people. So I went through like the classic, you know, like maybe I'll be a doctor, maybe I'll be a nurse. I don't know what should I do. And back and forth of just dealing with humans and uh, when they're vulnerable to help them feel strong and empowered and safe. But um, to be honest, I'm not the smartest person. Like I'm not a genius. So to like be in school for that long, for 10 years and science and, and math, I thought to myself, that's not for me. I need to figure out what is my path. What do I need to pick for myself? So I felt that therapy would be the best option for me. And when you are like in a therapy session and you know, you're hearing everything about someone, you get to know all the details of their life. How do you kind of like separate yourself and not get too attached, you know, to like what they're going on or try to take it on all on yourself? I love that question. I get that so often as, as, a, as a therapist when I'm doing podcasts or interviews or talking to family, friends and other people. And the biggest thing I say is boundaries, right? In every relationship we have in all our lives, we have boundaries. And it's about creating that healthy boundary for the person to realize that we're not besties. We're not friends. We're not, you know, it's a relationship, but a professional relationship. And there are times where it is hard for me to sit across from someone who is crying, you know, at their lowest and in so much pain and not want to reach out and give a hug and not want to, to be that. And for the right scenario and the right person, those boundaries can be crossed. And for other people, it can't. So it's really about creating those boundaries with the person that you're working with and uh, learning how to have really healthy self-care when you get home. And whatever that is for each person, for me, it could be working out, reading good book, listening to music, spending time with family to kind of disconnect from that intensity and kind of connect into something that's more healthy and productive. And do you ever use like techniques or things you've learned on like family members or people close to you? <laughs> uh, secretly, sometimes. <laughs> not anymore. It's not secret anymore. But realistically, I try not to, this is not a real word, but I try not to therapeutize my family. You know, it doesn't mean that the thoughts and ideas are not running through my head when I'm listening to stories or, or watching family members or how they deal with parenting or how they uh, deal with their, their spouse. Or It doesn't mean those things don't pop into my head, but I try my best to not do it. It doesn't mean that I don't use techniques, let's say, with communication and relationships with my wife and try to teach that or embody that or or use that but I've it's not healthy to do that because they're not your clients they're your family if someone would ever ask me hey what do you think about x y and z I of course will say well I'm just letting you know I'm not here to therapize you I'm not your therapist I'm just your family but here's what I could notice and think but you should talk to someone who's a professional for you not me but yeah it, secretly I do do it in my head yeah like, oh, they're doing that. Oh, I noticed what they're doing. Oh, that must be from their childhood. You know, like those classic things. So it does come up in my head a lot. But I try to keep it in my heart a little bit. And when's a good time to go to therapy? Anytime. Anytime. I think the misconception of therapy is that you have to be, quote unquote, sick or mentally ill or have a crazy moment in your life to go to therapy. But I think therapy can be for anyone. And this is what I truly believe that therapy is about having an objective person in your life who cares about you and solely you and your health and your growth, nothing else. And there's no bias. There's no agenda. There's no um, outside influence, societal influence. 
There's nothing, no political influence, no religious influence. It's just you and the person who's sitting across from you, helping them grow and help them through their journey and be reflective and, um, and introspective and all those things that can be really helpful for anyone who's going through self-esteem, self-confidence, relationship issues, and serious mental health issues as well. You know, if you're having a marriage issue, why not talk to someone who's not your spouse, who's a professional and not a friend? You know, why not have that person who can be objective and has no connection to you whatsoever, who can kind of see from afar what could be happening internally in your life? So anytime is good. And of course, if something is serious, like if you have a serious mental health issue like schizophrenia, bipolar, anxiety, depression, or a personality disorder or any of thing that come, comes up in your life, of course, seek treatment and help. Even if it's once, just asking one, just going once to see how it is, it never hurts to try. What do people mainly come to you for? What areas do you mainly focus on? So I work in a big community clinic in Queens, and we work with all walks of life. My youngest client, I think, is eight, and the oldest client I work with is like 70-something, and it's, it's everything and anything. If I was had my private practice, which I hope to have in the next year with my higher degree coming in by the end of the year, my personal, my personal opinion of who I would love to work with, my ideal client, would be like the young adult, would be like the, the 13 teens to like 30s, like that spot of like that time in their life where like they're not sure where they're going, what they're doing, which is why I reached out to you guys, because the 20s is like the most scariest time and most influential time of your life, because you're just like mm -hmm. becoming an adult and what the heck does that mean? So to have someone who can kind of help guide you and reframe your thought process and help you kind of get your head on straight to think and who knows what could be in the future, that to me is my ideal client. But I work with everything right now, anything and everything you think of, I work with. And what advice would you give someone who maybe is scared to try therapy or they're worried about like the stigma behind it or what would it look like to other people if they know I'm going to therapy? Of course. And I think that right now with Corona, I know Corona is a touchy topic and it's like really scary in the world. Who knows what's happening and when is this going to change? And right now the boom in mental health is ridiculous because people are hitting such an anxious state of mind because of the unknown that a lot of people are going to therapy because they don't know what else to do. So the idea of the worry of therapy is totally legitimate. What will people think of me? What you don't, no one has to know, right? No one has to know what you're doing. You can be going to a, you don't get so much slack from going to a doctor's appointment, right? I'm going for my, my weekly checkup, my weekly doctor, my weekly allergy shot, my this shot, my this thing. I know everyone's like, oh, you're going to get your flu shot? How could you? Like no one does that. But for mental health, there is this huge stigma and this huge looking down upon that you must be crazy. Something must be wrong with you. All it means like I said before, therapy is just having someone in your corner to talk things out that isn't part of your life. Someone to bounce ideas off, to hear out, to give you perspective that you might not be able to see because you're so involved in it. So I totally hear the fear of therapy, but the only way to try it is to try it. And it's about finding the right person and the right vibe and the right mentality and what you look for to make sure that it could last or work or that you have a good experience even if it's one time. And what is a therapy session like? Like, can you explain like what happens during a therapy session or what does it feel like? Of course. So every therapy, every therapist has a different vibe or way they start off. For me personally, I have learned to take the opinion of having a more 
loving, enjoyable experience instead of like the cold therapist who sits and you sit on the couch and you go, oh, how does that make you feel? Tell me more. Tell me more. How does it make you feel? And no emotion. To me, it's a give and take in, in my office. It's a, we're both humans sitting across from each other. We both have normal lives. We both have things that go on. We both have struggles. We both have greatness and, and failure. So let's be connected to that. Let's be that together. And when that happens, personally, it's about really just breaking the ice and being a human with the other person and showing them that you're human too. And of course, there, ha there is a healthy balance of how much you share and how much you don't share because you're not best friends, like I said earlier. But for me, it's basically giving the person, if they, I always have an agenda for what I feel would, should be worked on. But I never push my agenda at, at the, the onset of a therapy session. I will always say, is there anything you, hey, how are you doing this week? Like a classic check-in. And if there's anything you want to talk about, it's your session. You're the boss. It's your time. So what do you want to talk about? Great. If you have nothing to talk about, I have plenty to talk about. Let's bring up this happened, that happened. What about this last week? You said something I noticed, a theme that I'm noticing, all these little things that I could pick up on and paying attention to those things to bring it out in session. And it's not yeah. always, it doesn't always have to be crazy serious. It doesn't always have to be so intense. Um, my goal is never to make someone cry or to, to, to come out and say that their life is ruined. It's, it's, it depends on week by week. And some weeks we just chill and talk like, like friends or like two colleagues sitting and having a discussion about something. It doesn't have to be so pointed, so aggressive, so intense every week, but some weeks it is. And it's sometimes really hard and uncomfortable. You go to a therapist as well? Uh, I, I, I have in the past, yes. Not at the moment, but I have in the past. It's very important. And I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, I have my stuff too. You know, I'm married. I have a kid. I have life. I have stresses. My job is stressful. So, you know, and I also have a supervisor at work who acts as my therapist when I have struggles at work as well. So it's never a shame to have that someone in your life who's, who's there for you. And can you go into like the different forms of therapy, maybe like the different types? Like the styles you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So there's a few different styles that are like very common in therapy right now. Like psychoanalytic therapy is very Freudian. So you're looking at kind of like the unconscious of the brain and th things that you might not be bringing out, but you might be saying through certain words that you use or phrases that you use and kind of delving deep into some subconscious things that might have happened in your past that are impacting your now. There's also CBT, which is called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is how your thought process, your thinking of the triangle in my head of the, the CBT model, how your thought process impact how you feel and how you behave, right? So if, if I was told and I think all my life that I'm fat or I'm ugly, I'm going to feel negative about myself and then behave negatively about myself. If we impact how we think about ourselves in a more positive way, and reframe the thought process to be more in a positive light, it could impact how we feel and then how we behave. And the last common one, there's so many, there's like strength-based perspective where it's about empowering the person. The last big one I would say is dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT, which was created in like the seventies and eighties for borderline personality disorder, but they've now noticed it could be good for anything because it breaks down into like mindfulness, how to regulate your emotions, how to interact with other people and uh, how to help yourself when you get distressed and upset, how to calm yourself down. And those four parts are really what is dialectical behavior therapy. The dialectical means two parts, which is the emotions and the logic and how they interact. So those are like the big three. 
but there's so many styles and new things like that come out every couple of years or old things that get renewed like mindfulness has been around for thousands of years in religions but now it's like a big deal in the therapy world so and you know all, many different styles that was a lot of information <laughs> no, that's good and how do you like let's say you're feeling stressed at work how do you not take that into your session with your client i like to be very transparent so it doesn't mean that i don't sometimes i'll say to my client you know i'm having a really rough day so i do want to apologize if i don't not myself you know if you had a big fight with your spouse or you know something happened financially in your life you know you're not a robot you're human so like i have a chronic illness and sometimes i miss sessions because my chronic illness flares up so i explain that to my clients when we first start by the way heads up i want to be very transparent Here's my life. I'm married. I have a kid. I have a chronic illness. Sometimes life happens. I'm going to be respectful to your time, and I hope you're respectful to my time, but I'm going to always let you know if something comes up, and I hope you understand that. And if that's a problem for you, I'm more than happy to find you a therapist that is more consistent, more – I don't miss every day, but there's once in a while where things happen. Just like my clients miss when things happen in their life, I don't give them grief and yell at them because – they're human. So it is about understanding that that stuff happens. And I was taught at school at a young age, uh, young age, when I was in my early 20s in grad school, that you as a therapist have to work as best as you can, that when you go into that door, when you walk into that room, that you try your best to leave whatever you can outside and do your best to focus on whoever is in front of you. And the second they leave, let it out, pull it together, because it's not about you, it's about the person sitting in front of you. The therapy is not about you. And for all those out there who are in therapy or wanna be in therapy, if a therapist ever spends more time on their issues than yours, that is a problem and you need to leave that therapy setting. Or speak up and say, hey, I've noticed that we're talking about your life more than my life. That's not what this is for. Because a therapist's session is not about the therapist, it's about your life and what you're doing. So just be aware of that if that ever does come up. It's not a healthy relationship for a therapist. And do you think there's any difference from going to therapy in person versus doing it online? Or I see like there's like text messages or different forms now. Is there like a difference between the different forms? Practically, a person there for you is a person there for you. The feeling of it, like even just doing this phone call or the Zoom call online is more personal than a text. I get to see your eye motion. I get to see your body language. I get to see your, I can hear your tone. I can notice little nuances that things that you can't tell through text. Now I suck at texting. My wife had to teach me how to text in our relationship because I didn't know how to use the right emojis. And I wrote K instead of KK. And she thought I was upset when I wasn't upset. So if that comes through, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That mm. K versus KK. That like all of a sudden you see a K and you're like, that's it. The person hates me. But if imagine if that's through your therapist and the person writes the wrong thing, you read into that text message too much. There's no emotion. There's no tone. There's no, there's nothing. So texting, I definitely would, would stay away from. And now with teletherapy, it's the best we can do is phone calls and video. But the most ideal is in person because being in a room with someone and feeling their energy and you feeling their energy and seeing how they interact with each other in the room is a lot healthier and more productive that I believe as a therapist through phone or even through Zoom or whatever video chat you use. 
So on the DM that you sent to me, you mentioned that you were on the Kelly Clarkson show. Did you go into that experience, how that happened? Yeah, you know, it's almost a year ago that it happened where I just had my baby girl. My wife had our baby girl and she was about two months old and I'm sitting in my office on a Monday and I got bombarded on LinkedIn, my, my Instagram, my website like crazy from a producer on the Kelly Clarkson show. And I thought it was fake because like, I'm nobody, but yes, everyone's somebody and you're powerful and have great impact on the world that you have. I'm not trying to downplay my, my, what I have in my world, but I'm not, I'm not a celebrity. I'm nobody. I'm like, why would they reach out to me? So I said, what the hell? Let me call. And I called this person and it was a, she really was a producer at the Kelly Clarkson show. And they were doing a bit, on fatherhood and mental health and I started posting about my experience as being a father and my struggle with my mental health as a father the struggle of my my status what I thought as a father my disconnect from my baby as a father as my, my wife had more connection and all that kind of stuff I was trying to bring up on Instagram because I felt on social media there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of males talking about male issues there's so many female voices on social media, which is beautiful and powerful and amazing and wonderful. But I felt that I had no one to look up to or to reach to, or it was all about motherhood and parenthood from the mom's perspective. And they happen to like that. So there happens to be another account. His name is Chronicles of a Daddy. Um, Awesome account. Great guy. Great dude. And they were featuring him and asked me to be a guest to support and talk about the, the crossover of mental health and fatherhood. And uh, it was awesome. It was such a fun experience. Flew in for like 24 hours to LA, came in, recorded for a couple hours, then left. And it aired like the next week. And it was an unbelievable experience. She is so nice and so sweet. The whole team was wonderful. I felt like the biggest celebrity, even though I literally was on TV for maybe two minutes, but it was really, really, it was really fun. It was amazing. And how'd they find you? No idea. (laughs) I think they probably had, I think I commented on this Chronicle of a Daddy's post about breastfeeding and what your role as a father is through the breastfeeding process. And I wrote, great job. You're such an inspiration for all fathers, something like that. And they, I don't know, I got reached out. And the funny thing is they had another dad there from San Diego and they flew me in and they, and through the process of talking to this producer, she said, Ellie, if you don't come on, we will not have this piece. Because I said, I can't just move my whole life around. Like I have clients that I have responsibilities. My wife is, we just had a baby. She's two months old. Like I can't just leave my family for 24 hours. And she's like, please, please, I, we need you if you don't come out. And I said, what does that mean? You need me. Like there are a hundred thousand you know, fathers out there that can, you no, we, we won't. So it worked out. It was great. I'll do it again tomorrow if they ask me again. Uh, it was awesome. And what advice would you give to new dads? What I would say is take a step back um, and breathe for a second because your, your wife or whoever it is, your significant other, has been preparing for this for nine months. The baby has been growing in her for nine months. You don't understand what that means. You're like, oh, you're so adorable. You're pregnant and you talk to the baby and you, you stroke the baby and you talk to the belly and it's so exciting. And but you have no, you have no connection to that baby yet. And all of a sudden in a moment's notice, 
you are now a father and your life changes for good, for bad, whatever you feel, but feel the feels, let them happen and take a step back and realize that you will have your time to connect to your child. And I was beating myself up because I was like, why don't I love this child as much as my wife? My wife was head over heels, crying, loving, and I loved my daughter and I loved her the second she was born. And it was an amazing experience that I'll never forget. And I am so a girl's da a dad, girl's dad, what is it called? Daddy's girl. She's a daddy's girl. I'm a girl dad. You know, the hashtag girl dad with Kobe Bryant and everything. I'm a, I'm a huge girl dad. I love being, I love her to pieces. She's my princess and my yummy little girl. And it changed when I went on paternity leave. And it was just me and her. And I was able to have the time to bond and connect with her. Without that, my wife had the breastfeeding. My wife had the connection, the love, that instant, you know, unbelievable bond that I just didn't have because I didn't grow her in my body. So it's about giving it yourself time and space to connect with your child and you will get a chance and it is the most beautiful experience that you'll ever have. How do you navigate the stress of being a parent? Every day. Every day is, you know, I remember when I was becoming a parent, my, my mom said to me that once your baby's born, you are now a parent for life. Even when you're in your 60s and 70s and your parents should live long and well, and they're in their 90s and 100s, they're still your parents. They still worry about you. They still care about you. So that responsibility is a huge worry. But at the same time, I will never replace that for anything because I love the fact that I have a child that looks up to me and wants to be with me and enjoys the time together. And when I walk into the room, she says, hi, daddy. Like that experience melts your heart and you'll never replace that with any other experience. No dog, no cat, no pet will ever replace that love that you have. But every day is a challenge. And even in the same day, there are 12 other challenges, right? She poops all over the place and you have to worry about, oh my gosh, I have to clean up and I have to take care of my baby. And then she doesn't want to eat and she's crying at night. But there is a, a moment of calm and enjoyment that you get. And eventually things do calm down and get to a place of like a, what's it called? Like a rope. You get into a pattern and if things work out beautifully and it's about taking the time you need, tapping in the other person when you need a break so that you don't go insane and learning your boundaries as a parent, what you can do and what you can't do and really trying to go from there and take it day, day in, day out. How did you meet your wife? So we both worked for a youth organization, a Jewish youth organization called NCSY. And we we're both counselors at different times in the organization. And we happened to cross paths at one big convention in uh, winter break. And I said to my friend, like, I have to date her. Like, she's unbelievable. And I basically pursued her for about a couple of months. And she kept saying no to me because she thought I was this kind of guy. I had I have ADHD, so I'm all over the place. And I was like the center of attention on the weekend retreat. And she thought I was like too cool for her, for her, which I'm not by any means. I'm the biggest nerd. And she's a lot cooler than I am. And uh, finally, she said yes. And we started dating. And we got married. And what made her finally say yes? Honestly, it was my birthday when I asked her and she felt it was a pity date. So she said, fine, it's his birthday. I'll date him. And then she, she was really happy. She said yes. But it was also like I dated her best friend before her. So she was like trying to navigate that relationship and she didn't want to hurt that friend. And, you know, with all those nitty gritty drama that happens in relationships. But it all worked out, I, I think. We married for five years last week.
And do you have any tips for relationships, maybe how to handle fights or any things you've learned through your own relationship? Of course. And one of the things I actually do on Elevation is do I do relationship coaching and helping people navigate relationships. And as a therapist, I work with couples and individuals as well. And one of the biggest things is that when you have an argument, it's when you guys don't see eye to eye or you're butting heads on opinions and you're trying to get your voice heard. You're trying to communicate and you're not feeling heard. You're not feeling listened to. And for me and, and my wife, and, and she'll attest to this, even I hope she does because we have a very honest relationship. Sometimes we just get lost in the argument. We forget what we're talking about. We forget what we're arguing about and we just start jabbing and, 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 and getting at each other's nerves and I think the healthy relationships, the, the source of everything should be from love, right? I'm arguing with you because I want to figure this out. I'm not arguing with you to be malicious or mean. I'm arguing with you because I have an opinion. I want you to hear me and I want to hear you. And we're not seeing eye to eye. Let's figure this out. And if you take a step back and remember the idea of what's really behind the relationship, why you're in the relationship is the source of love. It does not mean you always have to like the person. There are going to be days where you don't like your spouse or your significant other. There are going to be days where you don't enjoy their company because you're frustrated with them. But a healthy relationship and a deep relationship is you always love the person so that you're willing to fight for it when you're ready to get back into the conversation. And how do you control your anger or step away when you want to react? So it is about, you know, counting to five, like all those classic things we learned as kids for impulse control. But I would say that the more we hold our emotions in, the more resentful we can get specifically in a relationship. So there has to be a happy medium, right? Anger is a healthy, natural emotion. It is. We get angry at everything, right? Things can frustrate us. But too much anger can be really abusive and aggressive and intense and not, and not nice and very mean. Not enough anger, which means not enough emotion, means you're being robotic or holding things in. So it's about finding for yourself and talking to your spouse, significant other about where that balance is and what's too much and what's not enough. Because as a husband and as my wife, she's allowed to express her frustration and anger and I'm allowed to express my frustration and anger. It's just how I do it. So I'm going to start pointing fingers and screaming and yelling at you and you and you and being mean. That's not productive. The anger should be productive. It shouldn't have to be, it shouldn't be that it's just for no reason. Um, and it should be for, for real things just because, you know, someone doesn't clean the dishes should not make you angry. You might be annoyed and frustrated, but anger should be, if there's like a safety issue or a financial issue, something that's really important, it's okay to have anger in a balance, not too extreme where it can be really abusive and, and unsafe. And it takes practice and learning who you are and learning what you can do. And a lot of mistakes and frustrations from both of you to figure out what the language is between you and the person sitting across from you as a spouse and significant other. And earlier you said that she taught you how to text. Can you go into that and like how exactly she <laughs> taught you how to text? Because <laughs> I know that's a problem sometimes. Um, like short I think it's a guy or like being, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a guy problem. I'm sorry all the dudes out there. Guys struggle with texting. I, I think that we don't know, like girls know those nuances of like, like just the example of KKK or KKK or yeah with a period or yay with an exclamation point and the winky faces and the tongues and all those emoji things that we all send each other. I don't think guys pick up on those little things because 
as, as not, I'm not like this, but most guys are not as emotional or in touch with their emotions. So they don't interact through text with emotion. They're just like, yeah, okay, everything's fine. I'm just answering your question. So she really taught me the little nuances of those things and really opening my eyes to the fact that texting is not the healthy way to communicate, but really to call or to talk through a video or in person and not have a full-blown conversation through texting and making jokes through texting. Make sure you write LOL or JK afterwards. So the person actually knows that you're joking because if not, they think you're being serious. Like I used to make fun of the fact my wife's from LA. So I would make fun that she's just, oh, classic surfer girl. Like I would make all these stupid jokes about LA and she will, she called me. She's like, dude, you're hurting my feelings. I'm like, but I'm kidding. She's like, it doesn't, I don't know that because you're not showing me you're joking. You're not telling me you're joking. You're just poking fun at LA. So it was me really like learning. And also it depends on each person, right? Your language of texting is different than my wife's language of texting is different than my language. So it's learning about what each person needs through texting and how to text that person, but totally opened my eyes. I had no idea what I was doing. Still don't probably. <laughs> she helped me till today. And do you have any tips? Let's say you have a partner who doesn't like to open up emotionally. Do you have any tips for how to get them to open up? So I don't know if you're a friends fan, if you've watched friends mm -hmm. before. So there's a famous episode of Rachel and Bruce Willis. I don't remember his, name in, in uh, the show. And, um, and she's fighting with the fact that he doesn't want to be open. And she asks Monica for advice. And the, what she says is give him a space to be open or something like that. I don't remember the exact thing. And then he cries for like the whole rest of the episode. And Rachel gets so overwhelmed that it's too much. So the first thing I would say is that as a spouse, you need to clarify in your head what your expectations are of how much you want the other person to share, right? Because if you open those floodgates, you don't know where it can lead. So you have to be ready for whatever is going to come. Two, it's about letting the other person know that you are there for them when they're ready, right? As most men, most men kind of hold everything in. They're very closed. They wear their armor. They're protective because they think that if they open up, they're going to be hurt. They're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be shamed. So it's about giving that person a space to say, hey, you know, I know you had a rough day at work. You know, if you ever want to talk, I'm here for you. I want to listen to you. I want to be there for you. Just keep continuously reinforcing them, but don't force them and don't push them and don't fight them to talk um, because then all it will be like a turtle. They're going to hide back in their shell. Uh, but be ready that once you open up that men have as much emotions as women do. And uh, it's just hidden and, and uh, they kind of like keep it deep down, which is why a lot of guys have anger issues um, anxiety, because you're holding everything in, you're not letting it out, it turns into resentment, frustration, and messes with your mental health. So it's very healthy to let it out, but it's sometimes hard to get out there. And what is something lighting you up right now? Well, I just launched my podcast uh, called The Dude Therapist. So I'm like really amped on like creating content mm -hmm. and getting it out there. And, and like, I keep checking my Buzzsprout account. And I'm like, oh, I had this many downloads. And like, it's like really exciting but always working on new things and new ideas and trying to collaborate with people like yourself and, and spread the word of therapy and mental health. And I'm always kind of lit up. It's, it's part of my ADHD. I have this like high energy level that I'm kind of usually lit up, but yeah, that's what I'm at right now. What is something that most people don't know about you? Uh, that the world or my friends? Anyone. 
Well, it can I, be either one. Yeah. I used to be in a, a traveling boys choir when I was a kid and traveled the world. That was fun. Until I was like 13. I don't know. I suck at sports. That's a, that's a good one. You know, I make it look like I'm, cause I'm a tall six foot two guy. It looks like I'm good at sports, but secretly I'm, uh, I'm okay. That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you're learning right now? I'm learning to love myself more and appreciate who I am and where I'm at and being okay with where I'm at and not worrying about what I want in the future and what I would like to do in the future. Like I have big dreams to write books and speaking and all that stuff. And I need to just be okay with what I'm doing right now. Um, and sometimes my brain gets ahead of myself and beats myself up that I'm not there yet. Uh, even though I'm doing just fine where I am and, uh, it is a continuous daily fight to have self love and to appreciate where you are. So that's something I'm working on right now. Well, I love that question. And what is something you do if you're having an off day to shift your energy? I love to read and drink tea. I'm like an old lady. Like I, I, for me, my ideal day is like wake up, have a nice cup of coffee, a nice breakfast, and to like sit on a comfy chair, like rocking chair or sofa or like a recliner and just read my favorite book and have a best, my favorite cup of tea. So if I'm having a rough day, um, that's something I like to do. Honestly, I like to look and shop on things and that's not healthy, but I also like to work out and kind of get out of my head a little bit or get outside. That's really some of the things or watch sports. You know, those are also classic things. What is something that makes you feel alive? Family. Being with my family um, is something that I was taught as a young age is one of the most important things in, 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 in life, family and friends, um, social, like social interactions. So Yes, I have my hard days with my child and my wife and it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. But when I have those wonderful moments with them, that gives me more happiness than anything I could do on my own, anything I could do with others. But like being with my child and my wife and having a day with them or spending time with them is something that I can never replace. It's priceless. And what's one of the top or a couple things that you really want to instill in your daughter? Top things I want to instill in my daughter? Mm -hmm. Like for myself, what I'm strong, struggling with is to empower her to feel love for herself, no matter what her body is like, no matter how old she is, no matter where she's at in life, that she always looks at herself with positivity and, 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 and admires herself for what she is and where she's at in her life. Other things I would say was um, the importance of family, that we're always there for her, no matter what her struggle is, no matter what her problem is, no matter what she's going through, good or bad, that she knows she can re rely on us to talk to us openly and honestly and respectfully and we'll give her the same and uh just have fun in life don't when you grow old it doesn't mean that you have to forget to have fun uh be a child for all your life and just have enjoyment in whatever you do and and just try your hardest and that's all that matters is just to give your best and your all and 110 percent with whatever you've got and no matter what the outcome is just as long as you know you gave your heart that's all that really matters and what were your 20s like? Well, I'm at the end of my 20s. I'm almost out of my 20s. My 20s were, I would say, an idea of growth. Like looking back 10 years, I'm, I'm turning th almost 30. When I was in my early 20s and college and my studying abroad, it was all about like finding myself and understanding who I was. And I truly still don't know. But if it wasn't for those experiences of searching and finding, I wouldn't be where I was today. 
So what I would say to all the 20 year olds out there is to give yourself space and time to find yourself. Don't rush it. If you know, great, go for it. If you don't, it will, it will come. No one's expecting you to be an adult and like this perfect being in your twenties. It's not possible because you have no idea what it means to live on your own and all that kind of stuff and be independent and pay your own bills and have a job and you'll get there. And it's about looking back and realizing how much you've grown year to year and appreciating where you were and, and how far you've come. Thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Thank you for having me. <laughs> where can people connect with you? Um, so you can connect with me on my Instagram elevation underscore therapist on my website, elevation.org. And uh, you chat with me on my podcast, the dude therapist, whenever you want. Um, and um, reach out anytime, DM me, PM me, all those things. And uh, hope to talk to anyone who needs it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.